0: welcome to episode 27 of the Dason Digest podcast. I'm Travis Jones, a liaison clinical pharmacist with Dason, and in today's episode, I want to share a few somewhat exciting updates regarding the treatment of COVID-19. This episode is being recorded on Thursday, December 2nd, and the title of this episode is Molnupiravir, Finally, an Oral Option for Outpatients with COVID-19. Now, I know we have all spent the better part of a year and a half reading, listening to, and watching content related to COVID-19, and unfortunately, there haven't really been any exciting new updates related to the treatment of patients with COVID-19 in the recent past. But that changed earlier this week on Tuesday, November 30th, when the FDA met to review data provided by Merck and Ridgeback Biotherapeutics regarding an oral antiviral that was studied for the treatment of COVID-19. After this meeting, we learned that the FDA voted 13 to 10 in favor of awarding emergency use authorization or EUA approval for this agent for the treatment of COVID-19. And I say this is exciting news because this agent is the first oral antiviral that we can use to treat COVID-19. So in this episode, I wanna share what we currently know about this agent and how it will likely affect care. So this new oral antiviral is called Molnupiravir. And it goes by the trade name, and I might mess this up, Lagvrio, um, spelled L-A-G-E-V-R-I-O. It was developed here in the United States at Emory University by Merck and Ridgeback Biotherapeutics. And it was approved for emergency use in the United Kingdom uh, just a a bit ago. And documents were submitted for emergency use authorization to the FDA here in the US uh, in early October. The FDA reviewed and approved this agent for emergency use just uh, this week. So how does this new drug, Molnupiravir, actually work? Well, this new antiviral is a nucleoside analog that inhibits SARS-CoV-2 replication. And just to review how SARS-CoV-2 infection occurs, the virus first enters a human cell and attaches to an ACE2 receptor. Now that its genetic code or RNA is there inside the human cell, it basically hijacks the human cell and generates more viral RNA and then reassembles itself over and over again, releasing more and more copies with the ability to affect uh, or infect other cells. So molnupiravir is actually a pro-drug, but once it's taken orally, it's metabolized to its active form. And this active form that gets incorporated into the viral DNA excuse me, viral RNA during replication, and when this occurs, it introduces errors into the replicated RNA, which prevents the virus from infecting other cells, essentially. Basically, it stops successful viral replication in its tracks. So now that we know how Molnupiravir works, and we know that the FDA met to review the clinical data supporting its use in patients with COVID-19, let's take a minute to review the clinical evidence that's available, which suggests this agent might be effective, and talk a little bit about which patients are most likely to benefit from this new agent. So I wanna first start by sharing information from a phase two study, which was really a dose ranging study that compared Molnupiravir 800 milligrams twice a day versus 400 milligrams twice a day versus placebo. And in this trial, the the investigators looked at viral isolation on day three and what they found was that only 1.9% of the 202 patients receiving the 800 milligram dose of Molnupiravir had the virus isolated versus 16.7% among patients receiving placebo. And further out on day five, virus was not isolated in any patient receiving Molnupiravir regardless of the dose. Yet over 11 patient, 11% of patients receiving placebo had the virus isolated. This study also demonstrated that viral RNA clearance was decreased, so patients cleared the virus quicker, and a greater proportion of patients receiving the 800 milligram dose of molnupiravir achieved total clearance as compared with placebo. Finally, in this study, molnupiravir at a dose of 800 milligrams twice daily was well tolerated with no significant differences in adverse drug events among patients receiving molnupiravir versus placebo. So following this phase two study, a phase three study was conducted and while it has not yet been peer-reviewed or published, the data were made available to the FDA's committee and to the public on the FDA's website. This trial was called the MOVE-OUT trial and it was a global phase three randomized placebo-controlled double-blind study in non-hospitalized adults with laboratory-confirmed mild to moderate COVID-19. These patients had to have at least one risk factor for poor disease outcomes such as obesity with a BMI greater than 30, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, chronic kidney disease, COPD, or active cancer. Pregnant women were excluded and for women of childbearing age, uh, they had to be on contraception. Receipt of monoclonal antibodies prior to or during this study, were prohibited, and patients had to be enrolled within five days of symptom onset. Of note, patients included in this study were not vaccinated. So after enrollment, patients were randomized to receive molnupiravir, 800 milligrams twice daily or matching placebo for five days. And the primary outcome of this study was to evaluate the safety and efficacy compared to placebo in regard to hospitalization and or death at twenty at 29 days after randomization. At the time of this study, delta, gamma, and mu variants accounted for roughly 80% of all cases circulating in the countries in which this study was conducted. So there were 775 patients enrolled in the study, but the investigators originally planned to enroll over 1,500 patients. But the study was stopped early based on positive findings that were observed at the interim analysis. So let's talk about what these 775 patients that were included looked like. Well, the median age of patients enrolled was 41 years, and a very small portion were above 75 years of age, only 3%. The majority of patients, over 50%, were enrolled in Latin America and only uh, 5% of all study participants were enrolled from sites here within the United States. The most common risk factor for disease progression in these patients at baseline was obesity, which was present in about 77% of participants. Uh, Overall baseline characteristics between patients receiving Molnupiravir versus placebo were similar, and of note, roughly half of all patients that were started on Molnupiravir Um, had a symptom onset of less than three days. So how did the study go? Was Molnupiravir effective? Well, it was. And to highlight that, I'll I'll share that uh, zero deaths occurred among the 385 patients receiving Molnupiravir at 29 days, as compared with eight deaths among the 377 patients assigned to placebo. In regard to the combined outcome of hospitalization and or death, Uh, This outcome occurred in 7.3% of patients receiving molnupiravir versus 14.1% of patients receiving placebo, and that had a p-value of 0.0012. In other words, this agent was associated with a relative risk reduction for that combined outcome of about 52%. And the study found no differences in efficacy based on the risk factors for disease progression um, or the patient's age or their baseline COVID-19 severity, whether it was mild or moderate, or the variant that they were infected with. There's one caveat regarding efficacy and I'll, I'll bring that up later. So what do we make of this study and this agent? Well, to me, I think it's pretty impressive since it's an oral antiviral used in outpatients. And if we just do a simple statistical calculation, we can reveal that the number needed to treat to prevent one hospitalization or death is 14. And I think that's pretty exciting news. But let's talk about the safety of the drug, because it could be amazingly effective, but if it isn't safe, then it'll be a dud. So in terms of tolerability, this drug was pretty well tolerated. In fact, side effects were reported by 35% of patients receiving molnupiravir versus 40% of patients receiving placebo. That means 5% more patients uh, reported side effects with placebo than the actual study drug. A similar trend was revealed regarding side effects resulting in discontinuation of the drug, Um, and that occurred in 1.3 percent of molnupiravid treated patients versus three and a half percent of patients receiving placebo. So while this agent does appear to be well tolerated, the documents presented to the FDA included summaries of adverse effects among the total number of patients studied, regardless of the dose or the study they were included in, And one adverse effect stood out to me that I think warrants further discussion. And that adverse effect was a decrease in hemoglobin levels. This event occurred in greater frequency in patients receiving Molnupiravir, 4%, versus placebo, 1%. In regard to severity, limited data were really presented, but these adverse events or the drop in hemoglobin was determined to be either grade one in severity or grade two in all cases of note. The documents presented to the FDA also highlighted the fact that similar abnormalities in hemoglobin levels have been observed in other studies of investigational drugs in outpatient and hospitalized patients with COVID-19. So it's difficult to know what to make of this finding, but I'm hopeful that additional data will eventually be made available to help us understand this effect in greater detail. So to kind of recap, what we know about this agent is that it was effective in patients with mild to moderate COVID-19 that had at least one risk factor for disease progression. And we also know that it was pretty well tolerated. So now what I would like to do is answer some questions that I would predict to be some of the uh, major FAQs uh, regarding this agent. So first and foremost, I think one question most folks will have is how much is this agent gonna cost? Well, Merck is planned to produce about 10 million full treatment courses of Molyneux-Piravir this year, and even more next year. And the estimated cost that I was able to find online for a full five-day course is about $700. Of course, that is a lot of money, um, but it, if, if, you, if you were to think of uh, the amount of money it would cost to hospitalize a patient, it would be far greater. Another question I think folks might have is, if a patient starts taking molyneux as an outpatient and then the patient gets admitted before the five days of treatment, should we continue it upon admission? And in general, I think the answer is yes, so long as the patient started taking it within five days of symptom onset and the patient is not experiencing any sort of adverse drug event related to malnupiravir. However, this agent should not be started in hospitalized patients because it was found to have no clinical benefit in the phase two dose ranging study, which also included hospitalized patients. In fact, the number of deaths was numerically higher for each dose of molnupiravir uh, compared uh, to placebo when studied in the hospitalized uh, patients. Another major question is whether this agent would be effective in patients that are seropositive for COVID-19. So they have positive antibodies at baseline that are not related to the current infection. And in this study, there were only four patients, two in each group, that had positive antibodies. But among these four patients, there were no differences in outcomes, which suggests that Molnupiravir does not provide additional benefit over natural immunity from a prior infection with SARS-CoV-2 in regard to hospitalization and or death. Another major question I think will be asked is whether or not this agent is safe to use during pregnancy. And in the documents provided to the FDA, several reports of non-clinical findings of embryo-fetal toxicity and bone and cartilage formation related events were included. And while we await more information from the FDA, I think it would be prudent to avoid this agent in pregnant women, as there are other options approved for mild to moderate COVID-19 that appear to be safer. And in women of childbearing age, contraception should be used if this agent is given as was done in this uh, clinical trial. So before closing though, I wanna talk about one potential risk of widespread use of this agent that warrants further discussion. And as I mentioned earlier, this agent works by inducing or integrating nucleotide changes in viral DNA to disrupt, uh, to disrupt the replication. Well, these nucleotide changes ultimately make the viral virus less fit or unviable. However, in theory, um, molyneupiravir's effect on these nucleotides could result in genetic changes anywhere within the viral genome and, in certain cases, could impact viral susceptibility to other agents or to the host immune response by random chance. So if you think about it this way, use of this drug could lead to nucleotide changes in the viral spike protein and contribute to reduced susceptibility to the host antibiotic response through the vaccine or to the spike protein targeted by our current monoclonal antibodies. And really an in-depth discussion on this topic is outside of the focus of this podcast episode but I just wanted to make you all aware that the documents presented to the FDA noted it is challenging to predict the public health risk of molnupiravir-treated associated spike protein changes. And as with all antimicrobials, I think ultimately judicious use of molnupiravir is critical. So now that we know a good bit about molnupiravir, I do want to mention another oral drug in the pipeline that will soon be reviewed by the FDA and that is Pfizer's Paxlovid. Results from an interim analysis of a study conducted by Pfizer were published in a press release uh, in early November, and much like Molnupiravir, Paxlovid was studied in outpatients with COVID-19 at high risk for disease progression, and the study found that Paxlovid reduced the risk of hospitalization or death by 89% as compared to placebo. In mid-November, Pfizer asked the FDA to review the data behind this agent and consider it for emergency use, so I imagine Paxlovid will be a topic for an upcoming episode of the Dayson Digest podcast. So when the data are available, we will be happy, happy to summarize and share it with you all. That being said, thank you all for tuning in to episode 27 of the Dayson Digest podcast. As more information becomes available about Molnupiravir, please don't hesitate to reach out to your Dayson liaison pharmacist with any questions or for any resources. And as a reminder, We release new podcast episodes every other Friday. So be on the lookout for our next episode in a few weeks. Thanks again, everyone, for tuning in. And until next time, take care.